Welcome to the Left On Radio Podcast for November the 5th, 2016. listening wherever you might be uh whatever you're doing uh thanks for thanks for tuning in with us and uh just listening what we have to say and what we're going to talk about here for the next uh few minutes at least um i'd like to start this show being that it is the first episode by talking about what exactly this is meant to be what is left on radio um to put it as simply as i can it's a weekly talk show format uh, podcast um, that is specifically tailored to a leftist political view. Um, And I don't mean a liberal political view, because it's something else entirely, but a legitimately leftist. Leftist meaning um, anti-capitalist, pro-social justice, uh, these sorts of things that, that typify what I would consider to be the legitimate left anywhere in the world, Um, especially where I am in the United States. But that's the case really anywhere. Um, To be on the left at all, whether you're a socialist or a communist, uh, communist of of any line, of any tendency, anarchist, whatever it might be, you know, there's certain things that have to be there. Anti-capitalism, I would say, is certainly one. Um... Uh, a mind for the liberation of oppressed groups and people, uh, which I think fits under the social justice headline, even though there's plenty of, you know, brochalists and whoever else out there who just don't like the term, but it, it fits. It, it's what it's meant to be. I think if you are a leftist, you do believe in that sort of thing, whether you want to call it something else or, or what have you. Um, and that's what it, we're going to do here. You know, this is going to be a legitimately left wing podcast as much as. Uh, as much as we can make it, We're differentiating ourselves, uh, differentiating myself from the overbearing amount of liberalism that infects even what is considered to be left-wing punditry in the world. 
especially in the Western world, I guess, to be, to be most specific in the Western world, uh, in, in the United States, in the UK, and, and wherever else. Um, so that's what we're trying to do here. The format, it's typically going to be about a 45-minute show, uh, give or take a few minutes. Uh, some days, some weeks could be longer, some weeks could be shorter, but typically I'm going to try and keep it around 45 minutes. I feel like that's a good medium uh, because the, the, one of the major goals I have with this is to also get people who maybe they don't identify as left-wing or leftist or socialist or communist or whatever it might be. Maybe they don't identify that as that, but they're curious. They want to get into it. So I want to keep it accessible. Uh, I want people to be able to listen to it uh, in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, I originally wanted to make it an hour to maybe an hour and a half, but that... That, uh, in retrospect, would have been a bit much. So I think anywhere between 35-45 minutes uh, is where I want to keep it. Sometimes it might be depending on what topics are being discussed, what's going on currently. Uh, it could go a little longer than that. But we'll try and keep within that uh, in that framework. So with being about 45 minutes in length, it uh, will consist of an introduction, kind of like I'm doing now, uh, to kind of go over what we're going to be talking about or mention something in particular or if there's something I feel like needs to be addressed right away or whatever. You know, the intro isn't anything specific, but uh, at least for this one episode, it's definitely going to be laying out what the show's going to be from here on out or what I'd like it to be. Um, and after the introduction, uh, we'll have some discussion topics, typically of current events uh, or of anything I think needs to be addressed. Um, if anyone has any listeners of the show or anybody has any questions or things that they would just like to hear discussed, if they're curious about it, they have uh, some questions about something, some uh, some idea or whatever they just don't quite understand, I, I'd love to be able to uh, try and help them with that, try and address that for them if I can and, and be of some assistance there. And after the discussion topics, uh, which will take up uh, maybe half of the show altogether, uh, we'll, there'll be a short break in it. Um, and then we will go into the main topic, which will typically consist of a uh, book or essay review or discussion. Um, that book or essay typically also being left-wing in nature, but if something else needs to be discussed, if we need to talk about uh, a, a different sort of thing, then we can certainly do that too. Um, doesn't always have to be one thing, and I think it's good to branch out and and uh, and get a better idea of, uh, of what else is out there in the world of theory you know with within reason of course uh again that's something i want to kind of play by ear with the audience if i can get some feedback from them and we can uh decide amongst ourselves what we like to hear discussed or what something that i should read and then come back to you guys with my take on i can do that as well um so after that the format that's kind of what it will take the scope i definitely want to keep it uh, reasonable you know attainable goals and all that so uh, nothing too large. We're not here to start the revolution or anything, as great as that would be. But uh, no, we're just, uh, it's its a talk show. Um, so take that for what you will. It's discussing things that probably get discussed on other talk shows as well, but I want to provide uh, a certain insight, a certain perspective that isn't common, uh, especially in really liberal places. Uh, like the United States, like any other, almost any other Western country. Uh, it's not common to get a legitimately left-wing perspective, almost ever, especially in the mainstream media. This, of course, isn't mainstream media, but 
it's uh it's a start it's somewhere it's somewhere to begin from and uh, hopefully as time goes on we can we can grow together and we can learn together which is another part of it that i uh, feel very strongly about this is going to be a growing and learning experience for myself as well because i'm going to learn a lot of things and read a lot of things that i have never read or heard about or learned about before um and hopefully that's going to help me bring something to the table bring something to the discussion uh that is at least worth someone's time maybe not everyone's but if i if somewhere someone out there if i can help them to better understand something or uh, give them uh, a, a perspective or a look into something that they haven't seen before or haven't heard before then uh then i want to do that i want to try and be that try and help that process along So that's kind of what we're looking at for the show as a whole. This is, of course, the first episode, so there might be some things, some kinks to work out, uh, some things that don't work quite right or that don't sound quite right. Of course, that can all be changed. Uh, nothing is permanent, and we can uh, we can uh, get better as we go. We can learn more, not just about the, the theory of it all, and there's just about uh, what it is to be leftist, what it is to be an anti-capitalist, socialist, what have you, but uh, also in what makes an engaging and uh, worthwhile show for anyone who, who listens. Uh, so diving in to our discussion topics for this episode, we begin with the big topic that is going on right now, not just in the United States, but really the world, because for better or worse, our elections are important news for anyone anywhere in the world, just because just by virtue of how big and intrusive the united states is in our everything really uh so then that is the u.s presidential election it happens next week uh from the time that this episode will broadcast uh it's going to be three days away election day is november 8th tuesday uh that's the first tuesday immediately following the first monday uh, of the month of november uh, which is in this year the november 8th that's actually the latest it can possibly be uh, the earliest it can be is November 2nd. And so this year is uh, between anywhere between the 2nd and the 8th of November is when the election can fall. This year it's the very last day of November 8th. And the two candidates, as everyone knows, it's down to, realistically, it's down to uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Which is, I think anyone will agree, at a minimum, is put it lightly not the most desirable i think depends who you ask of course some people are are absolutely over the moon that their candidate donald trump or hillary Clinton, whoever it is th that they're the one who has prospect of getting elected i certainly know people who are head over heels for either one of them and they think it's the greatest thing ever really um but for a lot of us and for for me in particular being a leftist um it is disconcerting and simultaneously unsurprising because this is it's it's it, there's nothing new happening per se uh maybe except for the fact that donald trump is more brazen and, and bold in his rhetoric than past uh right-wing candidates or republican candidates were conservative candidates in the united states were um you know they were more subtle about the things that they believed even if even if for the most part they largely agree with whatever donald trump has to say 
and they don't diverge ideologically from him almost at all. Uh, he, the, the trouble is that both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, it's it's ridiculous how little it, it matters what differences there are between them. They're all superficial for the most part. What differences do exist? Uh, they both just represent these different parts of the same capitalist neoliberal establishment that has existed in this country nearly since its inception, probably. And I know there are some people out there who gasp when they hear that. How could how could you say there's nothing different about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton? They're completely different. They, how dare you do that? How dare you compare them that way? The truth of the matter is Hillary Clinton is, yes, less abrasive in her rhetoric than is Donald Trump, but it doesn't mean she's all that different. Economically, they're no different. In fact, they both uphold the same uh, long-standing, for, for the entire existence of this country, uh, capitalist establishment that has existed here. They are both capitalists they are both imperialists to one degree or another it doesn't matter if one wants to attack russia and the other wants to attack uh, every country in the middle east it, it doesn't matter they what the, the biggest difference between them is that donald trump is never actually held political office so he doesn't have uh, a resume if you will of, of actual imperialism that he's carried out on behalf of the united states it doesn't mean he isn't just as capable it doesn't mean he will not uh, pursue the same sorts of things or the same goals that Hillary Clinton might uh, only that Hillary Clinton has been here and done this before in one capacity or another whether as senator enabling it that way or as secretary of state or whatever it might have been first lady what have you it's, this, is, this is all ground that has been tread well tread before and I think the point has to be made that Regardless of who wins, uh, for the vast majority of Americans, nothing will change at all. And you, you definitely have the sections, uh, the liberals especially, who they will berate you and say, Donald Trump is a travesty for immigrants, Donald Trump is a travesty for LGBTQ folk, uh, he's the worst possible scenario for any subsection of oppressed people while simultaneously being completely willfully ignorant of how awful Clinton will be, has been for uncountable number of oppressed people abroad and helping to enable much the same here at home, whether she was his first lady or acting as secretary of state uh, or engaging with the Obama administration, which has deported more people than any other previous administration. Uh, and she was certainly part of that. that. That cannot be denied. And I have no reason, I don't think anyone has any reason to believe that she will stop that or that's going to change under her. I think she's made quite clear that she intends, for the most part, to continue the legacy of Barack Obama to continue that same sort of governing style uh, without much deviance, except in a few cases where she's gotten particularly hawkish in her imperialism 
or what have you. But I don't think it'll be drastically different, if at, if at all really different, than what we've seen in presidents for the past 100 years or so now. It has to be. Since Woodrow Wilson, when U.S. imperialism, engagement in imperialism, neocolonialism, just jump-started on the whole. Uh, before then, it existed, certainly, but it really got going at the turn of the century. And it's just been an upward trend ever since. Nothing really changing. And and to any Trump supporters, he is of that same class, that same capitalist class, again, with the same, largely the same interests, with small diversions here and there. Uh, there are sometimes conflicting interests among that among that class, there are. Uh, but largely the same interest as Clinton has, as whoever else has. The political leaders in this country that they have. No reason for anyone, I think, to believe that he's going to be largely different from any of that. I think he certainly will say various things to get people to believe that he would do things differently. Talking negatively about trade deals or wanting to get jobs back from China or any number of those sorts of things. But again, he can say that, but if he were to be elected and get in the office, I don't personally think, and I don't think anyone should hold their breath that that will actually happen. In fact, it's, uh, and I have no, of course, no reason, no way that is to corroborate this, but I'm largely of the opinion that Donald Trump was somehow coaxed or led to running pretty much for the benefit of the Clinton campaign. And that that's why he's doing this. Right now, um, it's we can say even at this at this point, or perhaps at this late point, that it's probably going to be Clinton as the nominee. I think the latest uh, five thirty eight poll uh, or the latest figures from five thirty eight shows Clinton with a little less than a sixty five percent chance, Trump with a little greater than thirty five percent chance of winning. So it's. It's, we can say, I think, with pretty decent amount of certainty that it's going to be Hillary Clinton. Uh, I don't imagine that there's going to come out enough in whatever emails or leaks or scandals in the short span of time to really change that. I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't, I don't like Julian Assange. I don't know what he might be holding or what WikiLeaks holds. I don't know, but I, I can't imagine that they would have waited to the very last moment to, to break something that could undo her. If that thing existed, I think we would have heard about it a long time ago and Clinton would have been gone from the race uh, months, if, if not longer, ago. And the, and the Democrats would have found a different candidate. Maybe it would have been Bernie Sanders. I don't know. I don't think it's worth speculating about, to be quite honest. As I said, for the most part, it doesn't matter who wins. Nothing is going to change. There's not going to be any great reform. Uh, the, the status quo that is 
liberalism, the status quo that is capitalism, the status quo that is uh, the relations of production in this country and anywhere else are not going to change. And so if that doesn't happen, then there certainly is no reason to believe that there's going to be any drastic deviation from what we've seen over decades and decades and decades. But uh, moving along from the U.S. presidential election, we can deviate to what I think is actually a far more important topic, far more interesting topic, and that is what is going on in North Dakota at the uh, with the controversy that surrounds the Dakota Access Pipeline. Um, I'm sure most out there have probably heard of this by now. They know what's going on. There is a pipeline uh, in North Dakota that will be crossing through North Dakota that is um, set to uh, begin construction. I don't know precisely when or when it was slated uh, or if it will ever happen at all at this point, but uh, it was going to go through North Dakota and it was going to pass not through, but close by to uh, the Standing Rock. I want to make sure I have that right. Standing Rock uh, Reservation. The pipeline itself was to pass north of the actual boundaries of the reservation, uh, not through it. But the controversy or the, the, the issue that is at hand is that the pipeline... Uh, as any pipeline, I imagine, probably does many, many times over the course of wherever it goes, uh, crosses over the river that is on the border of the reservation itself. Um, I'm looking at a map here. Figure out the exact name of the river. It's it's the Missouri, if I'm correct. Yes, Missouri River. Uh, crosses over the Missouri River. The reservation is directly downstream from where the pipeline crosses. And that's a problem. That's a problem because if anything should happen to the pipeline, uh, either it leaks or it breaks, explodes as, as a pipeline in uh, Arkansas or Alabama, I can't quite remember at this point, uh, exploded not just a few days ago. Uh, if that ever happens, the water source that this reservation relies on, this reservation of 8,250 people per the census back in 2000. I'm sure there's far more than that now. Uh, the water source that they rely on is is tainted. It's polluted. It's gone. And that is unacceptable, frankly. Unacceptable for the Native Americans that live there. Unacceptable for, I think, a anyone who uh, is claims to care about one the environment people two probably people number one number one people number two the environment and uh, number three greedy corporations who are just trying to make yet more profit than they already do i don't have to i don't think i have to tell anyone who's listening what the oil sector and the energy sector energy very large quotations uh, because it's almost not anything else but fossil fuels energy what it's it's just profit we don't need another pipeline i don't think anybody right now would say the gas prices are ridiculous anywhere in the country except for maybe close to where that pipeline exploded their gas prices will now go up 
So, but but otherwise, energy as it stands right now in this country, I don't think is really hurting. Either at the pump, where we pay for it, or where it's drilled and piped out. I'm sure they're they're making plenty. I don't think that's disputable. They just want more. And so they're building yet another pipeline. I don't even know how many pipelines exist in this country. I'm sure there are quite a few. And this particular one poses a legitimate threat to the ecology, the sustainability, and the survivability of an entire group of people that stand to be affected by it should anything ever go wrong with it, which is not an uncommon thing, by the way. I'm sure there are those out there who'd say, you know, pipelines are, they're, they're very safe. They don't, they don't leak. Nothing bad ever happens to them. They're, they're perfectly safe. You shouldn't worry. That's a lie. Short, sweet, and simple it is. They can certainly be and are prone to leaks, if anything else. If nothing else, they are prone to leaks. Which in a certain area, you know, in a small area, maybe just below the pipeline on a patch of ground is not a huge ecological problem. Doesn't hurt many people, if any. But once that gets into the water, especially in an, in an area like this, where this is all the land these natives have left. This is all, everything else has been stripped from them over the decades and the centuries. This is all they've got. They don't even own it, technically. Reservation land of any Native American tribe is held in trust by the United States government. They don't actually own it, which is ridiculous all on its own. But that's a story from another time, because the point is here that another ridiculously greedy corporation, and I'm sure there's more than one one in on it. I don't, uh, I don't precisely know if pipelines are owned by just one corporation or if it's... Uh, you know, a, a conglomerate or if a, a cooperative sort of thing among corporations, you know, to all try and improve their margins. I don't precisely know that, but it, it's unnecessary. And more than anything, in, in my personal opinion, even if it was necessary, I'm not prepared to allow another corporation to profit evermore from taking resources out of the ground and selling them at a premium back to people while simultaneously endangering the livelihood of a native people who have had everything stripped from them over the generations. And obviously there's more to that situation and we will keep up on it as it goes on. I just wanted to go over it and kind of give people an idea. I think where, uh, where I certainly stand on it, I'm absolutely against it. Uh, and where I think any other leftist should stand on it. One, we stand in solidarity with Native people of this country. We are, should be, should be, and there are some out there who are not, but you should be in favor of total decolonization of this country, of return of it to the Native people. And even if that is just the only reason, that's good enough reason right there to oppose this. As I said, we'll keep up on that, um, and I'm sure in next week's episode and for the future episodes, I don't think this is going away. This protest certainly isn't going away. Um, I know that. 
Moving on from there, I would also want to discuss as our third discussion topic for this episode, uh, some important local election measures. Nothing to do with the national election, presidential election, or if your particular state has Senate or House of Representatives seats up, but uh, just important local measures um, specifically to do with minimum wage and to do with paid leave. Those are two big ones. There are, or will be, on Election Day, again, November the 8th, be four states uh, that will vote on whether or not to raise their minimum wage. Uh, those states are Arizona, Colorado, where I live, Maine, and Washington. Uh, all of those states will vote whether to raise their minimum wages to at least $12 an hour. I know in Colorado it is voting whether to raise it to $12 an hour. I actually have my ballot in front of me here. I haven't actually turned it in yet, but I will certainly for Election Day. Uh, we actually have in Colorado many, many uh, important, many good uh, measures on our ballot uh, that I certainly believe are worthwhile. And our minimum wage, let's see, it is, okay, yes, it's uh, Amendment 70 here in Colorado uh, that raises the minimum wage, uh, immediately raises it to $9.30 per hour. I think right now it's $8 and, might be $8.30 exactly, let me, yeah, yeah, right now it's $8.31 in the state of Colorado, so immediately it would be raised by $1. And from there on out, an annual inc annual increase of $0.90 cents, uh, each 1st of, the Janu 1st of January every year uh, until it reaches $12 an hour, uh, effective January 2020. So our measure doesn't even immediately raise it to $12 an hour. It's over time and uh, won't be at $12 an hour by 2020, which... Uh, who knows by then if that's even a living wage. That probably won't be. I know a lot of economists, I don't know if you want to take that with a grain of salt, but a lot of economists certainly view $12 an hour, at least right now, as a living wage. Uh, whether that's going to be the case four years down the road, if you ask me, probably not. Probably not even close, actually. Uh, but the good news about that measure is, as well as getting it eventually to $12 an hour, um, it also will be annually adjusted thereafter uh, for cost of living increases. So it at least keeps up with inflation once it does get there. That's an upside to it. Um, and of course, uh, I will absolutely be voting yes on that, as I think anyone else, any other self-respecting leftist would. Uh, I know a lot of us don't have any, any love for electoral politics or voting or there's a lot of don't vote revolt out there. I know, I, I absolutely get that. But for the time being, I think for all being honest, revolution isn't immediately an issue in this country. And if there's anything we can do in the short term to help alleviate some of the exploitation that goes on under capitalism, whether it be by increases in the minimum wage or paid leave, uh, instituting paid leave, maternity leave, that sort of thing. Um, decriminalization or legalization of drugs, healthcare laws, whatever it might be. If there's anything we can do, we can legitimately do in our own areas to help 
with some of those things, uh, I think it's certainly worthwhile doing. Uh, I, I don't know. That's probably not an opinion shared by all, um, but it, it is certainly one that I share. These are, unlike a national election, unlike a presidential election where your one vote uh, probably doesn't mean anything, and being that it's just a two-party system anyway and we just have two candidates, really doesn't mean that much of anything. You're going to get one or the other. Uh, but, but outside of that, outside of those national elections, local elections can and, and are very important and have very real impacts in the short term. Uh, and ballot measures, amendments, propositions, things of that nature, uh, I think it is worthwhile engaging in those. Uh, as I said, the other states besides Colorado are Maine, Washington, and Arizona. Uh, Arizona and Washington, among those four, are also deciding whether uh, there will be guarantees added, I believe, to their constitution uh, for paid sick days for workers. Another important thing, uh, as that is not a guarantee, not federally guaranteed. In many states, obviously, it's not a guarantee. Often, that's uh, something that's negotiated through union contracts, but if it can be made uh, to be more... Uh, for all workers, even better. Uh, so it's certainly something I'm in favor of. Those are the two big things that I wanted to discuss for local measures. Uh, if you were in wherever it is that you live, if you are voting uh, and you have a measure on the ballot or any measures on the ballot, look into them, read them, uh, take them in. You know, if, if it's something that you believe should be voted through, uh, then definitely do. Vote on that. Vote for that. Even if you don't vote in the presidential election, that's fine. Uh, but I would certainly encourage you to do that at least. Uh, here in Colorado as well, and I will say just as a uh, an addendum to the minimum wage votes, Washington's looks like it will be bringing the state minimum wage up to $13.50 by, also by 2020, uh, and also requires, uh, I think that as part of that amendment as a whole, part of that vote as a whole, would require businesses to provide workers with paid sick leave so that's important and of course uh, any increase in the minimum wage on a state level is great because the federal minimum wage is seven dollars and 25 cents an hour that is not not at all livable it's nothing really it is i think the definition of starvation wage and it's it's ridiculous so if you can do anything in your state to to help that to make that situation any better uh please do so moving on from there, that's all the topics I really wanted to discuss. Uh, we're going to take a short break in the show, and then we'll come back for the last about 10 minutes or so uh, and discuss the main topic, which is the uh, this week at least. It is the essay uh, by Karl Marx, uh, Marx's Wage, Labor, and Capital. Uh, so we can take a quick break, we'll come back, and we'll talk about that. Thank you. 
Okay, and welcome back. Uh, in the final segment of today's show, first episode, um, I want what I'll normally do, and, and from here on out at least is the goal, uh, I'll showcase just uh, some literature, a book, an essay, something like that to, to kind of go over or, or give my take on or, or uh, uh, sort of let people uh, get an idea of or give the gist of if I can. Um and today, what I've got is uh, one of 
what I would certainly consider the foundational works of Marxism, uh, at least if you kind of want to go in the more beginner stuff, uh, I guess you could say. More accessible, uh, more, not so many crazy concepts, not uh, certainly not quite on the level as something like Capital or, or something like that. Um, and that is Marx's essay, pamphlet, book, whatever you want to call it, Waged Labor and Capital. Uh, it's pretty widely considered to be the calm before the storm almost, before Marx really went big with uh, Das Kapital uh, or Capital Volume 1. Uh, this is kind of where he laid out some of the co same concepts he would go on later to expand upon in Capital. Uh, things like uh, exactly what wages are, uh, how are prices determined, how are wages determined, how are those things related, what's the contradiction between uh, a worker who sells his labor power and then the wage that he gets paid from that, uh, how, you know, how the capitalist makes and continues to make ever more profit, um, and keeping that whole thing going, that whole uh, relation going, um, the... And then the last few chapters sort of deal with uh, more, kind of take some of those key concepts and go a little more in depth. Um, chapter 7, I think it is, uh, entitled The General Law That Determines the Rise and Fall of Wages and Profits. Uh, chapter 8, The Interests of Capital and Wage Labor Are Diametrically Opposed, The Effect of the Growth of Productive Capital on Wages. So talking about what and, what and how and in what way um, the labor and the capitalists' interests aren't not only not aligned, they're totally the opposite of each other, diametrically opposed. Uh, and then the final chapter, which is the effect of capitalist competition on the capitalist class, the middle class, and the working class. So talking about how competition affects uh, the prices and, and the amount of products, you know, the, how this drives capitalism to, and the capitalists to make things more cheaper, or constantly cheaper, um, all, saying, all the while trying to make more profit and how these things can conflict among other topics of course um the main thing that he goes into and i think the biggest thing that most people probably take away from wage labor and capital is uh what he goes into in chapter one after the preliminary uh which what are wages and talking about how those are determined and the basic contradiction between the wage a worker gets paid versus the actual value that their work is creating. And that uh, your wage, that a worker's wage, whatever the amount of it is, is just a small, small portion of the actual total value that a worker creates. In fact, they see such a small portion that it's sometimes they make a value that's 10 times greater than what their wage is. They don't see any of that over the small amount they get. The rest is just pocketed as profit by the capitalist, by the employer, and perhaps most fundamentally by the owner, the entity, person, whatever it might be, who owns the resources, the machines, the tools that the worker uses to make the product or service or whatever it is. In fact, the first uh, portion there uh, after the introduction, actually in the copy that I have, there's an introduction by Engels, which is really good on its own because uh, he kind of goes into um, kind of the importance of the distinction being made that it's not labor 
that the worker sells, but it la their labor power. Um, I might talk about that again in a second. But uh, as for the first portion of this, you know, what are wages? Marx asks kind of the fundamental question that then leads to everything else, which is, uh, well, I'll just read this first portion here. And the first, basically, the first paragraph goes, uh, "quote If several workmen were to be asked, how much wages do you get?" One would reply, "I get two shillings." And just important to remember, this is, of course, in the mid-late 1800s uh, in England. So keep that in mind. This is in Marx's day that we're supposed, you know, we want to take this and understand the context of that. Uh, one would reply, I get two shillings a day from my employer. Another, I get three shillings a day, so on. According to different branches of industry in which they are employed, they would mention different sums of money that they received from their respective employers for the completion of a certain task. For example, for weaving a yard of linen or for setting a page of type. Despite the variety of their statements, they would all agree upon one point, that wages are the amount of money which the capitalist pays for a certain period of work or for a certain amount of work. So, you know, either getting paid piecemeal or getting paid an hourly or whatever it is, daily wage maybe. A certain period of time or versus a certain amount that you make. Uh, the next paragraph would go on to say, consequently... Quote, consequently, it appears that the capitalist buys their labor with money, and that the money and that for the money they sell him their labor. But this is merely an illusion. What they actually sell to the capitalist for money is their labor power. This labor power the capitalist buys for a day, a week, a month, and after that, or after he has, and after he has bought it, he uses it up by letting the worker labor during the stipulated time, and with the same amount of money with which the capitalist has bought their labor power, for example, with two shillings, he could have bought a certain amount of sugar or any other commodity. So labor power is a commodity, a commodity that the worker sells to the capitalist in order that he, for all intents and purposes, can survive. Going on, and this is the, this is just the second paragraph of, of uh, chapter two, which is what are wages. The second paragraph, moving on, continues, the two shillings which he bought 20 pounds uh, with which excuse me with which he bought 20 pounds of sugar is the price of the 20 pounds of sugar the two shillings with which he bought 12 hours use of labor power or of the labor power is the price of 12 hours labor labor power then is a commodity no more no less so than is sugar and then this is first measured by the clock or the first is measured by the clock the other by the scales just kind of outlining What's, what transaction is going on there? And how eventually gets to the point where explaining just on the face of it that for all the labor power the worker is selling, they don't receive back in their wage an equivalent or what it should be the equivalent. They don't get it all back. They don't even get most of it back. The majority of it is kept as profit. By the capitalist who didn't work, who didn't do anything as the laborer did, as the worker did, in making the product or the service or whatever it is, they just owned the stuff. They just owned the stuff in order that they can sell it, make more money, get more stuff, get more rich. That's the basic premise of it. Uh, very much boiled down. Again, I say that it's still should certainly worth reading um, and continue on because there are much more to it than all that. Uh, and then much more chapters, much more interesting things, uh, especially in the chapter, the final chapter, where he goes into uh, competition and the effect that that has 
and how it's not a positive thing. It's not a good thing. It's very damning and uh, certainly a worthwhile read all on its own. Um, the other one I kind of wanted to hit upon was the chapter eight, uh, where Marx talks about uh, the interests of the capital and the wage labor are being as being opposed, and they are. Um, but going over there, so a few paragraphs into chapter eight, there uh, talking about the interests of capital and wage labor and how they're opposed. Uh, Marx says, quote, we have thus seen that even the most favorable situation for the working class, namely the most rapid growth of capital, however much it may improve the material life of the worker, does not abolish the antagonism between his interests and the interests of the capitalist. Uh, and the next paragraph says, uh, if, quote, if capital grows rapidly, wages may rise, but the profit of the capital rises disproportionately faster. The material position of the worker has improved, but at the cost of his social position, the social chasm that separates him from the capitalist has widened. And so just even in very early in that chapter, and again, it's a very short book, very quick read, definitely recommend picking it up, reading it for an afternoon, you get pretty much all of it at time, I'd almost guarantee it. Uh, but in a few short chapters, he just very clearly, one after another, kind of lays things out. There's constantly things coming at you in this which is kind of what I liked about it the most, or what I enjoy about it the most, is that there's every paragraph, every chapter, even as short as they are, has something worthwhile, certainly worthwhile, uh, that is vital, I think, to the majority of Marx's theory from this point where he's writing this on out to even further than Marx, to Engels, and Lenin, and so on and so forth. And again, it just lays out the most, what I would consider probably the most critical things you should know before you move on to other uh, other points in Marxism. The things that are, you should probably know, you should probably have, things you need to understand, because it references back, especially when you get into capital where things really take off. Because the things that he started talking about here that because it's so short he couldn't quite go into the necessary depth once you get to capital that's when it really becomes a, a much bigger thing and you get into concepts that uh, aren't touched upon here but are certainly related and definitely worth knowing so that is about all i had today for today's episode went a little longer than i expected about five minutes over or so uh, but hopefully uh Hopefully you gained something, and again, if you have any suggestions, any questions, anything that you'd like to see, any uh, commentary, any you know, constructive criticism, I absolutely want to hear it. What do you think is good? What do you don't think is so good? Uh, what you think could be improved upon? Uh, and just, uh, yeah, how, where do we go from here? I want to know, because uh, this is as much for the audience listening and you guys as it is for me. Uh, it's going to be an experience for both of us, and I hope that you'll join me on it, and I hope we can, uh, I hope we can all grow and... Uh, become better leftists at least uh, that's the goal and if you're not a leftist well, maybe we can uh, convince you otherwise so thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you guys next time